You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. When Bukowski is playing at the level he's playing at in the series, do you feel like that's a challenge to you? You have to raise your game? I don't give a f- Why not? It doesn't matter for me. I'm doing my work. He's doing his work. Never mind what about Bob, Elliot. It's more like how about Bob? Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Canyon AT4X. Friedman American Delich with you once again. The Florida Panthers grab a 2-0 series lead, win two games on the road, head back to Sunrise, and all of it presented by their sponsor, Sergei Bobrovsky, who made 35 saves. And Elliot, didn't it feel like about 30 of them were amazing chances by the Maple Leafs? I didn't look up any of the official deservometers, Jeff, (laughs) but on the unofficial Elliot Friedman deservometer, I thought Toronto was the team that deserved this game. As you said, Bobrovsky was brilliant. And it, it wasn't only the saves, it was how he made them. Like that one where he like jumped at the Austin Matthews shot and blocked it with his blocker. Yeah. Like it was like a 1980s goaltender out there. And there were some wild misses. There were some great chances. And the thing about this is this is where the schedule really goes. The anti-Canadian schedule, I may add, Mm. this is where the anti-Canadian schedule really goes in Florida's favor. Because one of the things that they do get concerned about Bobrovsky is, you know, he's not the biggest guy. Like He takes really good care of himself, but he's not a powerful force. Eight to nine games, he tires. And he got a break at the end of the regular season when he wasn't feeling well, and Lyon played fantastic. And now, as he's played five in a row as a starter and six in a row overall, He's got two days off between games two and three and two days off between games three and four. And I think that's massive for him and the Panthers in terms of his own recovery. So that's a storyline here as well. I thought Toronto was the better team. Nice will not be back tonight. Bobrovsky and one bad minute at the start of the second period did them in. Went down, back in comes Barkov, shooting, scores! 19 seconds into the second period, and the game is tied. Kachuk is there, helping out though is Matthews, puck loose, and Harner comes back to take it. Into the middle for Matthews, stopped up by Luz Farina, leaps are out. Here's Kachuk, off the bench, Lundell, back to Kachuk, across Forsling, scores! And the Panthers have the lead, 66 seconds into the period. One other thing I want to add to that, to the discussion of Bobrovsky and a couple of specific saves, that save that he made on John Tavares in the third period. Right, Pat? Like, normally there's like one or two saves where you say, you know what, they're not getting anything by him. Mm -hmm. I think I counted like 10 saves where I said to myself, they're not getting anything by this guy. Bunting who gets behind the net, nearly forced a turnover. Forsling able to get away from that. On for Luos Doreen, who was poke checked. Now in Matthews, right circle, a shot. Save Bobrovsky with the right pad. A huge save and a huge time there. The neutral zone, though. The puck bounced out to center. Back in they go. Bunting. Matthews near circle. Shot. Save Bobrovsky on Matthews. It's went back to the front of the goal. Bobrovsky thought far he had side. a side. Nylander far circle works in. Nylander front of the net. Backhand trying to save Bobrovsky with the right pad. And the Panthers get a clear to the left. 
line and out of the zone. Here's Matthew Kachuk. Now, as a quick aside, a buddy of mine sent me a text after the game ended, and initially I kind of brushed it off like, nah. And now that I think about it a little bit more, I might be warming to it. His feeling is that A, Sergei Bobrovsky is doing incredible things, and two, he says, are you getting a sort of LA Kings 2012 vibe about mm. all of this. Remember when Jonathan Quick was the best goaltender on the face of the earth, like the command performance by Quick, and they were the guys that barely got into the playoffs and ended up winning the Stanley Cup and just got better as the playoffs went on and on. I know it's only the beginning of the second round, but the more that I think about what my buddy texted me, the more I'm thinking he might be right. Are you getting a... LA Kings 2012 vibe about the cats here, Elliot. I'll tell you in a month. <laughs> I said it was early, but play along. It's a podcast. You're allowed to have fun and speculate. No one's gonna, no one's gonna hot take you. Don't worry. I think one of the most interesting things about it for me is that the two goaltenders who may be the best in the playoffs so far are two guys who didn't have great regular seasons, and that's Bobrovsky and Grubauer. Yeah, and it is a reminder that. There's a lot of people who think they know how to predict how a goalie is going to be. We have no idea. No idea. I think you can be a lot more consistent in picking out which skaters are going to be good and which ones aren't going to be good. Mm -hmm. But goalies, we are clueless. Meanwhile, up front for the, for the Florida Panthers, Sam Bennett. Mm -hmm. When we talk about wrecking balls and we're going to get to Matthew Nice here in a couple of seconds. We all know how the Boston Bruins felt about that line and that player specifically before we get to the Nice injury here. Do you have a thought on Sam Bennett? There was not just a Nice situation but also uh the Michael Bunting deal. Do you have a thought on Sam Bennett after this one? First of all, he has been an enormous difference maker in the playoffs. Kachuk gets the a lot of the attention and he deserves it. But Bennett has been an enormous difference maker for Florida. One of the things the Panthers talked about was their team was, quote unquote, too nice on the ice. You know, Barkov, Ekblad, really great people and really good players. But I think they felt they needed an extra level of meanness on the ice. Mm -hmm. And that's why Gudis was brought there. That's why Bennett was brought there. And now Kachuk this year has kind of been the chocolate sauce of meanness. <laughs> the, the thing that really makes it perfect. I think this was the player that the Flames always wanted. Mm -hmm. I think this was the player that the Panthers thought they were getting. And I know there's a lot of Leaf fans that are going to listen to this and be nauseated, but the fact is he has been an enormous difference maker in these playoffs for the Panthers. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I think Bill Zito's first move as general manager of the Florida Panthers was to bring in Patrick Hornquist, like another bit of nastiness, someone that was just yep. awful and ugly to play against. Like, it seemed as if, like, th th this was Zito's MO right from the get-go. We need to get nastier guys in here. Yes. A couple of things. Uh, the Nyes injury. Tied up with Bennett. Uh, left the game. Didn't return. We'll know more on Friday, I would suspect. Your thoughts on the mm -hmm. Nyes injury. And it's amazing how someone who's been in the NHL for a cozy five minutes is already such an important loss for the Maple Leafs. Yeah, I, I give the kid a lot of credit. I thought there was a really good player there, but I thought the hype going on around him this year was kind of ridiculous. Like people were talking about him and the kind of impact he would have right away. And I give the kid total credit. He has been everything that's been expected of him and more. The thing that worried me about it, Jeff, is that and if you've studied anything about concussions and, we don't know that it's a concussion, but I think we all kind of suspect it. It's the cumulative effect. And he took a big one from Kachuk, and then he took a big one from Bennett. And that's the kind of thing that I worry about. So I hope he's okay. Look, both those plays were penalties. 
that's not going to be supplemental discipline. I, I know the Maple Leaf fans would love it. They would want to see it. I just don't see either of those plays mm-hmm. rising to the level of supplemental discipline. I thought in the moment, Jeff, they might be simply because he was hurt and he left the game. That's what made me think. But I I don't think we're going to get there. I, I don't. And the cross-checking with Bunting, as I said on the air, I don't have a problem with Bunting wincing after that. Like, that's a hard cross-check. Now, what I think here is I don't think that Sheldon Keefe believes that Bennett's going to get suspended. When he brought up the Matthews cross-check that got him two games last year, to me what that's about is putting the officials on notice. Paul Maurice did that thing at the end of game one, like the hand signal of the power plays five to one. That was about setting the table for game two. The power plays were three to one. They weren't as lopsided. And I don't have any of the problems with the calls that were made. Paul Maurice wanted to make sure he got a message across for game two. And he did. I think Sheldon Keefe sees Maurice do that, and now he's getting his message across. I don't have an update on his uh, status. Obviously, he didn't complete the game, so that's not positive. In terms of the the hit, I, I'm not going to comment on that. The league will look at look at that. You know, I'm sure the cross check on Bunting is eerily similar to the one that uh, we saw with Austin last year in the outdoor game. We know how that one worked out, so you know we'll we'll just see. The league will look at all these kind of things. He's frustrated because he lost a player, an important player, and Bennett is having the effect on the series that he's having. He wants more calls on Bennett, and I don't think he believes he's getting Bennett suspended, but he wants to make sure that Bennett gets more calls than he's getting. That's for sure. If you're Sheldon Keefe, are there any adjustments you make? Is there anything you can do? Or do you just say to yourself, stick to what we're go- what we're doing because all that's happening here is we're getting goalied? You might have to make one change up front. Right. Are you going Aston Reese? Is there any chance you're going Simmons? He hasn't played in a while. I also wonder about the defense. Thinking about Mark Giordano? I am. I have to say, I don't like it. I don't like that I'm thinking that. Sometimes we all have impure thoughts, Jeff. We (laughs) cannot be faulted for that. Are you having impure thoughts about taking Mark Giordano out of the lineup? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm having impure (laughs) thoughts about this particular subject. You know, the other thing you could do is you could go 11 and 7. Right. Yeah. Well, you do have the time off, right? You have the extra day. You have two days. You can kind of figure this out. It's funny with the Maple Leafs, for a lot of the first series, Tampa Bay was the better team, and Toronto found a way. Yeah. Which is what the playoffs are all about. I think you could make an argument that for a lot of these two games, Toronto's been the better team, and Florida's found a way, led by Bobrovsky. That's why I think this series is, is far from over. You know, Ron read a stat, that if a team goes up two to nothing, they win 83% of the series. Well, in the first round, that number was 86. And why is it down three percentage points? Because New Jersey won and they lost the first two games at home. So there is recent history. I mean, the one thing though is that Florida's roster is firing, unlike the Rangers roster wasn't. But the way Toronto's played, it's not impossible. Ryan O'Reilly said the series is far from over, and I would tend to agree with him on that one. We'll bracket that one. Game three goes Sunday. We wondered before Seattle-Dallas game two if Jake Ottinger would be back and if game one was just a weird, freaky Twilight Zone type game for Jake Ottinger. Turns out it was, and it turns out he's back. Uh, An outstanding performance by Jake Ottinger. Some great goal scoring by players like Wyatt Johnston, uh, Evgeny Dadunov, Joe Pavelski. Man, is he ever, is that how you do a welcome back or what? Uh, and Tyler Sagan as well. 
Um, and all of a sudden, the Dallas Stars now even up the series and we're headed to Climate Pledge Arena for Game 3. First of all, before I ask you about the game, yep. how did you see the Carson Soucy mason Marchment incident with the double minor interference and slash for Soucy and the embellishment for Mason Marchment? You don't need to ask me how I saw it. You, you know how I saw it. Would you like to share how you saw it with everybody? Uh, look, I, I think everybody who, who's heard me on this podcast the last couple of weeks knows how I feel about it. I, I think it should have been evened up. I don't think Susie deserved an extra penalty for that. You didn't see two penalties there? You didn't see the interference and the slash? I, 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 like, or was that too soft to call? Do you think one even gets called if Marchman doesn't go down? No, I don't think he. No, of course not. Not for a minute. That's why I don't like it. That's why I don't like that they got a man advantage out of it. All right. Do you have a thought on Jake Ottinger then? He was a lot better, as I think everybody suspected. But Seattle sees something there. High blocker. Like the Kraken see something that they can attack. You know, Eberle's goal, it probably doesn't happen if Haskinen has a stick, mm -hmm. but it's high blocker. Hank Stomey leaves it. Haskinen stick breaks. Chance for the Kraken. There goes Grubauer to the bench. Extra attacker comes on. Eberle to the goal. Scores! Jordan Eberle puts it under the bar and in. And with 3.27 to go in the third, Seattle's within two. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> They see something there. Now, Ottinger, I think, is so good and so smart that he's going to figure out whatever that is and just deal with it. But they think there's a cheat code somewhere there. Mm -hmm. We'll see how it plays out over the next five games. I thought Dallas as a whole was much better. I thought the building looked dynamite. The building was alive. We'll see how – I'm sure it'll be the same way for the home team when they go back to Seattle – I just thought top to bottom, that Dallas team was a lot better in game two. And not just because they won. They doubled up on shots. They looked really dangerous. Seattle was really smothered, for I, I thought, for several moments of that game. But the other thing, too, Jeff, is that the way that Florida went after Nyes, Dallas went after Beneers. Like, he took a lot of punishment in this game. And you saw the highlights we showed of Mark Stone in game one of the Edmonton game. Like, they went after Stone hard. Mm -hmm. And Dallas clearly decided that they were going to make game two a lot tougher on Matty Beneers. And a night after the Calder came out, if you didn't realize how important a player he was for the Kraken, the Dallas Stars told you because he was a focal point of their game. Someone who's far away, Elliot, from being in the Calder Trophy race is Tyler Sagan, yep. who don't look now, but is very much back. Yep. Uh, his fifth goal of the playoffs. Wins the draw. Here's Harley. Toward the net, a deflected shot. They score. Tyler Sagan in front. And Dallas may have just put this one away. 9-0-1. Man, he looks fantastic. Uh, I still think his signature moment, you know, was in, in Minnesota when when Joe Pavelski was out. He he fills in on that spot on the top line and he scores the the Joe Pavelski tip goal. That's gonna be one of the enduring moments that I'll always look back on in, in these playoffs. Do you have a thought on and a rejuvenated and uh, and playing like he's much younger, Tyler Sagan? One man's injury is another man's opportunity, right? Sure. And unfortunately, Pavelski got hurt, and nobody likes seeing that. But Sagan ran with the opportunity. This is one of the reasons why I think Dallas is going to be a really tough out and really tough to beat because they can beat you with their older players. They can beat you with their younger players. They can beat you with offense. They can beat you with defense, and they have a great goaltender. I think Sagan playing the way he has in the playoffs is a real bonus for them. And you know what, Jeff, he just looks healthy. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Like his body has been through a ton. He just looks healthy to the action on Wednesday night. And we'll start with the Edmonton Oilers 
and the Vegas Golden Knights. The Edmonton Oilers have not lost in regulation since March 11th in Toronto. They will lose in regulation today in Vegas. Golden Knights take game one, six, four over the Oilers. Lauren Brossois earns the victory against his own club in a Knights uniform. He has three wins in three starts against the Oilers. He's won five in a row, the first five wins of his Stanley Cup playoffs career. The Knights get game one against the Oilers on home ice. This one was an interesting one, uh, Elliot, as you well know, because it was the second game in a row where someone scored four goals. The curse of the four-goal game. Uh, coaches out there, when your player gets three goals, sit him down. The fourth goal is... Dump it in the corner. That's right. He's on a breakaway. Why is he dumping it in the corner? This is the most bizarre thing we've ever seen. Now Kolasar pouncing on that puck. A shot on net. Up to the task was Stuart Skinner. Quick pass ahead. McDavid with Hyman driving to the net. Drives a little shoots. Scores! A four-goal game for Leon Dreisaitl has the Oilers within one in the third. Great quick up here by Matthias Ekholm as he puts this right up the wall. McDavid waiting on the red line to just get his feet moving. Vegas wins. Uh, Jack Eichel with the empty netter. 6-4 is the final score. Uh, your thoughts on Vegas and Edmonton game one. Last year, the two goal-scoring leaders were Evander Kane and... Uh, Nathan McKinnon, and they had 13 goals, and Drysaddle's already got 11. It's a joke, like r- really, like <laughs> how how good he is. You know, there, there's a lot of McDavid is the Gretzky, and Drysaddle is the Messier, and Messier was the one who had the reputation for really elevating in the playoffs. And it's not like you know Drysaddle is a bowl of soup in the regular season. It's just that that guy goes to another gear in the playoffs. There's something about it that it's like Popeye and spinach. Like he just goes. And you know the thing the thing though there is I don't know how I, how I, how I feel about this, but I watched some of those goals again and the Oilers they're like the Maple Leafs. The two of them give up goals at the most inopportune times, but I have to tell you are we getting concerned at all about Skinner here, Jeff? I think we're concerned. Honestly, I'm always concerned about rookie goaltenders. I know everybody loves the uh, the rookie goalie. Oh, the shooters haven't had a look. They haven't had the, the book written about the goalie yet. I'm not concerned about young goaltenders physically. I'm concerned about young goaltenders mentally mm-hmm. and what happens in like super high-pressure situations. Now, listen. Stuart Skinner's had an amazing season. Listen, he's a, uh, nominated for the Calder Trophy. I always, Elliot, almost as a rule, worry about rookie net miners in the playoffs, especially on teams that could legitimately win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one thing if you're a rookie goaltender on a team that just squeaks in and you're just there for some playing time and, hey, isn't this neat? We're in the playoffs. This is fun. But the Oilers could win the Cup, and he's a rookie, and this is all new to him. I think the issue is more mental probably than physical. That's what I would worry about with Skinner. There have been some times he's shown some really good bounce back. You know, when Campbell came in to play for him against L.A., he came back, he won game five, and then game six he had a rough first period, and he found a way, out-dueled Corpusalo. Game one, they get the early goal, Vegas comes back, scores a couple, Edmonton eventually 3-3 tie game. And then, of course, they score two more. I just wonder if the Oilers, I mean, they're not going to say anything publicly, obviously. But I couldn't help but re-watching some of the goals on Thursday and saying, geez, I wonder if Edmonton is concerned at all about this. So I was talking to another coach, and he was saying to me, First of all, I don't like to overreact to game one. There's a lot of series to play. It's a feeling out process. Sometimes your emotional levels are different after you've won another series. But what this coach says to me is that if he was Vegas, he would feel very comfortable after game one. Because assuming everybody's healthy, he thinks that Vegas is going to be a lot more comfortable Mm -hmm. with their depth forwards and their depth D 
than Edmonton is right now. And I don't think he's wrong about that, specifically on defense. Like, that's one thing about Vegas is that they're deep. And the thing that scares him the most is Stone. And when you watch the video of Stone going off the ice, you know, I was talking to a player who's had a history of back problems, and he says, that's your nightmare because you just never know when your back is going to act up. And it's not necessarily because you get cross-checked in the back or you go hard into the boards. It can just happen taking a stride. It can just happen putting your pants on. Like, it just comes out of nowhere. And he said that he's Vegas. They're looking at that and they're saying, please, God, let this hold up for another six weeks. Because you can win the Stanley Cup with that guy. He'll take punishment. But you've watched game one. He took a lot of punishment, but he played through it and he was a factor. You know, one thing Vegas can be really happy about right now, we talked about this at trade deadline and those deals that aren't the headline makers, not the the Patrick Canes and the Timo Myers. And I think we both looked at this one and said, you know what? Undercover great move by Kelly McCrimmon. Ivan Barbashev with a pair. Yeah. Boom. And once again, it's Ivan Barbashev, his second of the game. The go-ahead goal for the Vegas Golden Knights. Deliberate shot by White Cloud looking for the stick. Just got it to the net knowing that Barbashev was there. And again, it's the four check, disrupt, find the puck, and Barbashev plans himself. Big game, second round, bam. Ivan Barbashev with a pair of goals. When you talk about having depth and guys that can perform and not out of nowhere because Barbashev's a really good player but getting your goal scoring and your production from more unlikely places man Barbashev looks really good there do you get this reference clickety click barber trick <laughs> oh my god how old are we all of a sudden now it's when I was like seven years old Elliot. of course you get that right even, I think even younger if you ever see somebody change his shape before your eyes become a square or ball or polygon or simply alter size don't worry you're not going mad or had too much to drink it's only Barbara Papa you can tell him cause he's pink I think Edmonton will be a lot better in game two especially five on five, because they have to be. Can't win this series if they aren't. An absolutely awful first period by the New Jersey Devils on Wednesday night. They muster all of, checks notes, one shot on goal. And it wasn't even really a shot. I know. Akira Schmitz uh, surrenders three goals on 11 shots. He gets hooked. Vitek Vanacek comes in for the New Jersey Devils. But by then, the game, Elliot, game one was pretty much already over. Uh, the Hurricanes win this one by a final score of 5-1, to one, and I don't really think that I'm concerned about the New Jersey Devils at all. They had one really bad period, and then they kind of righted everything again. I think Game 2 is going to be a completely different game, but what do you make of Game 1? So there's a lot of talk in the world right now about artificial intelligence yes, and how it's going to take over the world. The Hurricanes are Skynet. <laughs> I need to know how Skynet gets built. Who's responsible? The main most directly responsible is Miles Bennett Dyson. Like, I look at them, and I don't think we can give them enough credit for how disciplined they are and how they stick to what they do. Look, we all know about the injuries. Mm-hmm. We all know about, you know, the goalie questions that they have, the tandem that they use, and even some injuries there. But it doesn't matter. They play the same way every time. They're committed to what they do, right or wrong. They're like, this is our identity, and we're going to do it. You can stop the Terminators, Jeff, but they're still going to send another one back in time after John and Sarah Connor. I was going to say, you're determined to make the Skynet thing stick, aren't you? Yes, the Carolina Skynets. (laughs) Can't help but have a lot of respect for them. Of course. Because they stick to their identity. And that's a total mulligan for the Devils. They absolutely crapped the bed in game one. But don't you think it was just the first? Like the second and third, I thought New Jersey was okay. They were okay, but it just didn't matter. I I know it didn't matter, but... 
Like I came out of it saying New Jersey's going to be fine here. I just think that they had one really clunker of a period. It just happened to be the first period that took them out of the rest of the game. But still, like I kind of looked at it and went, New Jersey's going to be fine here. I think we'll see a different New Jersey team in game two. I think you're you're totally right about that. Look, there was a lot of debate about the Norris because the Norris balloting was announced, the finalists. Yep. This year, the Norris was the toughest. And I know that in June, on the 26th or whatever it is, when our ballots all get published, there's going to be a torrent of hate delivered <laughs> in my direction and your direction uh-huh. and everyone's direction. We're ready for it. Yep. I'll have my hazmat suit ready for that day. To me, the guy who got shafted the most in voting this year, mm-hmm. Brent Burns. I don't even know where he's going to finish. Mm-hmm. I have no clue. But if Carolina wins the Stanley Cup, Brent Burns is going to win the Consmite Trophy. Over Sebastian Ajo? Yes. That would be the race for me. I love Ajo. He's a great player, but Burns is their guy. You know, that kind of feels like... Uh... I have awarded the Con Smythe <laughs> five games in. Hang on, like five minutes ago, I was saying, hey, you're getting the LA Kings flavor from 2012 about the Florida Panthers, and you're like, ah, nah, too soon. Jeff. And then five minutes later, you're giving out the Con Smythe trophy, Elliot. By now, you should know that I'm a total hypocrite. <laughs> uh, hypocrisy is the greatest luxury. Hypocrisy is the greatest luxury. If you watched the pregame show on Wednesday night, and if you didn't, shame on you. But if you did watch it, you saw a tremendous feature on Matthias Eckholm and his wife, Ida Bjornstad, on their move and trade to Edmonton this season. Ida, by the way, is a broadcaster and will soon be the co-host of this podcast with me and not Jeff. A full (laughs) link to our YouTube interview with the Eckholm family can be found on the show notes for this podcast. I actually support that. (laughs) That's pretty funny. I wouldn't say blindsided. Um... I wouldn't say I expected it either. My agent called me earlier in the day and he would never call me on a game day otherwise. So I figured something serious was going on. Nashville, it's been a big part of our lives. It was whirlwind of emotions for us. When we got the phone call that Matthias got traded, I was like, where, where are we going? Really excited about the new chapter that we're beginning to write here. Well, Ken Holland and the Edmonton Oilers had a busy trade market. It's the first of two trades sees Matthias Ekholm become the newest member of the Edmonton Oilers. When you hear it's Edmonton, yeah. what's your first reaction? I'm not saying this because I'm trying to get fans to like us or anything like that, but, I mean, my wife is from way north in Sweden. I feel like in Tennessee, Nashville, it was... You, you kind of took out winter. It was a longer summer and then spring and fall. It was definitely an adjustment for me to come to the heat in Nashville. I remember the very first night when we were there and he took me to dinner and I was sweating so much because it was so hot there. And I come from an environment that is so similar to Edmonton. It's a very small village up north in the very north of Sweden, close to the mountains. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, so those are the series that are going on right now. You mentioned the Norris, uh, and just so uh, so everyone's on the same page here, uh, the three finalists, Adam Fox of the New York Rangers, Eric Carlson of the San Jose Sharks, and Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of thought McCarr was a little bit of a surprise, mm-hmm. not because I don't think he's a good defenseman. I think he's the best defenseman in the NHL. I just thought that some voters might look at Makar and say, not enough games, injuries, too much of a factor for his season. Like when he plays and he's healthy, no one touches him. But I just thought that a lot of voters would say, not enough games. All I'll say about this is, these were not my top three. I had someone else in my top three who was not there. But I'm also going to admit, that I did have Makar in my top three. Hmm. And I know that people aren't going to like it. I know people who left them off their ballot entirely. I don't get upset at people, other people's voting. I do what I do, and I don't worry about what other people do. 
Remember Connor McDavid's rookie year? Of course. Jeff, how many games did he play in his rookie year? 50. Good guess. 45. We were robbed, and I do think robbed. Not just robbed. It was grand <laughs> larceny. Like, this was not small yeah. claims court robbery. This was grand <laughs> larceny. You were going to federal prison. Okay. But we were robbed of half of Connor McDavid's rookie season, and it was spectacular. Yeah. Where did he finish in the rookie of the year voting? Third. Hmm. And he still got first place votes. 25 first place votes. And I think history has shown that's perfectly fine. I didn't do that, by the way. I, I, I didn't vote him first that year. Yeah. I regret it. I should have. But anyway, that's my feeling. McCarr on defense is kind of like McDavid up front. He's the best defenseman in the NHL. You don't like it? Fine. That's what I did. Here's what I always wonder about, Elliot. Like with McDavid, it was towards the end of the season where he had his injury. If he would have had his injury at the beginning of the season and missed 20 games and then started playing in December and had that spectacular season going into the voting, mm -hmm. would that have made a difference? Because the actual number would be the same. Hmm. I just wonder psychologically what that does to a voter. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Jeff, I'm a big believer in recency bias. I know exactly where you're going for there. Yes. Yeah, McDavid had missed the first couple of months. He was injured in training camp, for example, and then started and, you know, was chasing Artemi Panarin for points or whatever. I wonder if that would have changed the way people felt about Connor McDavid in the voting. That's all I wonder about with that one. This year, the Norris was the hardest. Yeah. And if we're all clobbered for anything, it's going to be our Norris votes. But we're all in it together, Elliot. We're all getting roasted. Every single person who voted, I'm getting roasted. You're I, getting I'm roasted. sure we won't all be <laughs> knifing each other because we're always so good to each other. Yeah, yeah, we all we all love each other. We're all going to hold hands when our, when our ballots are all revealed. Uh, okay, a couple of more news notes here before we uh, wrap things up. Philadelphia Flyers and their hunt for a team president. What's the latest? It sounds to me like there's been some movement in the sense of we're getting down to the last three to five people. Billy King, who was kind of like the person who ran the first part of this search, I believe it was his role to submit like the three to five names around now, and they'll go from there. By the way, apropos of nothing, yes, I love. Billy King, he, he played college basketball at Duke, and he was like the defensive shutdown master. I saw him shut down a lot of really good players over the years. I really liked him as a player. Anyway, that's what he's supposed to do, and I believe they're in the process of, of doing that right now. I think that Daniel Briere is going to stay the GM. I don't think that's news. We've all talked about it. I wouldn't be surprised. If Daniel Briere is involved in the final part of the process, to me, the biggest question here is Briere is going to have the big say on hockey. Is it going to be a hockey person in this role? Hmm. Or is it going to be somebody who can basically say, Daniel, you don't need to worry about this. I'll handle it. Mm -hmm. Managing up other stuff. You worry about the hockey, and I'll handle this stuff. Because if that's the case, I think it bodes well for an Ed Olchek, whose name has surfaced in the past couple of days. Even a Doug Wilson, who's you know not going to be a day-to-day -day GM. Or if it's more of a hockey person, you know Scott Mellonby's name has been around there. I'm really curious to see if they go a hockey person with them. Or somebody else who's just there to handle everything that Briere doesn't need to worry about. I've also wondered if it's possible, you know, like, for example, Cammy Granado's name was around this. I think it's also possible there's going to be a hire. I don't know if it'll be her specifically or someone with a similar background just to diversify or modernize their front office. And I've had people say to me that we could be, and I don't want, I said on NHL Network today, and I was very careful about this, 
I think we could be maybe thinking end of next week, but I don't want to say that for sure. Philly continues to be one of the more fascinating stories around the NHL, but maybe the most fascinating story in the NHL because Snoop Dogg's involved now, Elliot. Yeah. What's the latest with the Ottawa situation? Snoop Dogg I had a really funny conversation on Thursday. You will appreciate this. I had a lawyer friend of mine call me up, and I didn't know this, but he's kind of tinily involved in this whole thing, and he hadn't said anything to me about it before Thursday. And he said to me, does anyone in your business understand what an NDA is? And I laughed and I said, (laughs) what are you talking about? (laughs) And he goes, everybody here is supposed to sign a non-disclosure agreement, not to talk. And you've got the Ottawa son talking about billion dollar offers and Snoop Dogg is writing Instagram posts (laughs) and giving interviews he basically said, and first of all, like it's not the Ottawa Sun's fault. Like that's their job to do that. Is to and yeah. same with Ian Mendez. I, I don't have a problem with what these guys are doing. But he said to me, "You look at all the lawyers here. The lawyers aren't talking." He says, "You look at the people who have business backgrounds who are involved in this deal, whether it's business or real estate or whatever it is. None of them are talking." But all the entertainers and all the sports media, they can't stop talking. This is supposed to be a (laughs) private process. So I I got a good laugh out of that. That's good, though. I think this is a great advertisement for the Ottawa Senators and the NHL that Ryan Reynolds and Snoop Dogg are are basically coming right out with their interest in doing this. It's, It's never a bad thing to have these people interested in your product. And, you know, I, I thought that the uh, interview with Snoop Dogg on first take, I thought it was a really good interview. But talk to me about this. So on your IG yesterday, you said amazing what Nico Sparks is trying to do in Ottawa. I'm looking forward to being a part of that ownership team. I want to bring hockey to our community. So, Snoop, what's your biggest motivation behind this? Well, you know, I've been watching hockey for about 25 years now, and I'm watching more and more, you know, kids that look like me play the game. But I'm not seeing it being offered to the kids over here in America. I know how big it is in Canada. And I've been, you know, down with the NHL for a long time, going to games, announcing games, being a part of the society. So this opportunity came in order to, in, for me to, like, be a part of the ownership of the uh, Ottawa Senators. So I jumped on it. And then the plan that we have is to also go and build a Snoop Youth Hockey League outside of Canada so kids in urban communities can learn about hockey, can play the sport, and find ways to get into this, you know, great thing that's called hockey. Because right now, the NBA and the NHL is having some great playoff games, and the mm. kids need to know that there is an option to play hockey if you look like me. These are two people. They may be entertainers as their quote-unquote jobs, mm-hmm. but they're both really smart people. Yeah. I had said last Saturday that I thought we were going to get some clarity this week on the Reynolds-Remington bid. I think after Snoop Dogg came out, I think the plans changed with that. One thing this guy told me when he was finished ranting about how entertainment and sports people don't understand NDAs, (laughs) and I told him NDAs are stupid anyway, and I'm glad people are choosing to ignore them. Oh, very good. Yes, it's good legal advice to give people, Elliot. Well done. Well, you know, as, as a media member, I want people to talk. He said to me, he thinks everybody's trying to get this process quieter. Like we've got basically 10 days before the bids are supposed to be due. He thinks everyone here is trying to get this under control a bit. And I don't know if they're asking people or they're telling people or people are saying this might have gone too far. But I believe that there was going to be something this week that might have been public from Remington I don't think it's going to happen anymore. I might be wrong, but I don't think it's going to happen anymore. Here's what I wonder about. Normally in situations like this involving either franchise sale or certainly franchise movement or NHL franchise expansion, 
the NHL, and by that I mean Gary Bettman, likes everything to be really, really quiet. Yes. How did the Winnipeg group get the Atlanta Thrashers? They were quiet. Yes, good point. Now, the one thing that we that we know that really upset the NHL was, you know, Quebec Nordiques fans loading themselves into buses and going to Islanders games with, you know, fleur-de-lis jerseys. That what did not go over well with the NHL. But here's the thing that I Jim Ball Jim Ball silly with Hamilton. Absolutely. There's there's another one. Yep. But here's what I wonder about here, Elliot. Normally that's the way the NHL likes to conduct business. But when you consider the star power yes. that is being attracted to the NHL, like you have Ryan Reynolds saying, I want a piece of this. You have Snoop Dogg saying, I want a piece of this. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're at a place where the NHL looks at this and says, well, normally we like to keep it quiet when we do this type of business, but is there not a feeling in the NHL that this is actually great for business? Oh, yes. Look at these names that want in here. I know it's noisy. We don't do business like this, but maybe the worst thing is that these guys stop and we go back to normal business because this is great for the NHL. Is there not that feeling in the NHL? I completely agree with you. I do wonder, though, if maybe they think it's going a bit far and they want to rein it in. Hmm. we'll find out like if if reynolds remington do anything public then i think the answer is hey no holds barred keep going yeah but if they keep quiet then it's a sense that maybe it's just better we let this play out for another week and then see where we are the one thing is like look like there's a lot of excitement about reynolds and remington for sure and now there's some real excitement about snoop dogg i don't know nico sparks at all but I do have some real respect for the fact that he wants to be taken seriously and everybody out here is talking about Ryan Reynolds. So he's going to say, wait a second, I'm going to fight for my group. And, you know, I, I respect that on, on a lot of levels. It's the same reason I kind of really respected Gerard Gallant, you know, standing up for himself the other day with the Rangers and the media. Yep. If you're not going to stand up for yourself and promote yourself, nobody's going to do it for you. Yeah. The one question I think the NHL has had, and I don't know if this has changed at all, but the one question I think the league has had about the Sparks bid is what is the composition of ownership? I think they're very comfortable about what the Remington Reynolds group looks like. It is more traditional in terms of You've got a majority partner and you've got a couple of minority partners. Like the one thing about the, the Sparks group is at least at the, the last I'd heard, they just didn't know how it all fit. Maybe they have their answer and they feel a lot better, but I don't know that for sure. And I think that was the biggest question about what he was putting together is, is it as solid in terms of the percentages and stuff? Okay, so Thursday brought with it some some sad news, and that was um, the surprise news that Peter Klima had passed away at the age of 58. Now, you and I are the same vintage, early 50s, and so this was, you know, Peter Klima was, you know, hitting his high spots with uh, the Detroit Red Wings and then the Edmonton Oilers when we were in our, you know, mid to late teens and into our early 20s. You know, he's most remembered for the 1990 Stanley Cup final game one, triple overtime. You know, John Muckler had, had nailed him to the bench and yes. you know, the, the rest of the team's got their tongues hanging out. They're exhausted. Klima goes out there and scores at 15-13 of the third overtime period, the longest Stanley Cup final OT of all time. And it's out over the line. Like Tavish and Curry. Klima catching up. He's in. She scores. Klima gets the goal for the Edmonton Oilers here in the third overtime at 15-13. And what a win this has got to be for the Edmonton Oilers. Lima with the goal. And the Oilers win it 3-2. Well, the Boston Bruins gave up a rare three-on-two. And when Curry's in on a three-on-two, you end up usually getting a chance. And Peter Klima, who was playing only his second shift of OT, won the game for the Oilers. And John Muckler, I'm absolutely sure, was playing a hunch 
when he put Clem out after not using him hardly at all. And Peter's saying, just get me out there, John, and I'll end the game. There goes Glenn Sather and the Oiler delegation from the press box. He had his problems off the ice. Those are well documented. I know a lot of people had to babysit Peter Klima at times, coaches and, and other people, but had just w- wonderful skill, was a brilliant skater. Your thoughts and, and your memories on, on Peter Klima, Elliot. You know, I mentioned this to you on your show on Thursday, but there was a Leaf playoff game against Detroit where I was able to get down. I'm pretty sure I sat in like the second or third last row of the building. Grays. In what was called the the, uh, the Grays at Maple Leaf Gardens. I went to quite a few games and sat up high in the Grays, and I, and I loved it there. Some of my best memories from high school, really. Hang on. Were you the guy that would always chant Argos? Was that you? The no, guy at Maple Leaf no. Gardens? Was that you, Elliot? No. I was so shy as a 17-year-old. <laughs> I wasn't saying a word. Anyway, and then we snuck down, and we got near the dressing room after a game, and Klima signed an autograph. You know, he was a very nice guy. Sometimes you can tell, and, you know, it happens. Players, sometimes they have a night where uh, I'll do it, but they don't want to do it, or they just don't want to do it at all. But Klima, uh, he was very friendly, chatted for a couple of seconds, had the great mullet with the blonde streaks in it oh so great i would tell everyone one of the best features that sportsnet has had in its nhl rights era is the one with jerry Meehan and don loose who were with the buffalo Sabers, who helped get alexander mcgillney out of russia by the way almo has informed me he will put the link to that show defector in our show notes and Peter Klima's story is the similar. The world was a very different place back then. And I don't think a lot of us, especially now, have any idea of how hard that journey would be and how scary that journey would be for Klima. And, you know, he had a lot of challenges when he got to North America with alcohol and, and things like that. And I just have an understanding of you know, what he went through and the change in his life and everything that happened. And as you said, with Muckler, he used to drive coaches crazy with how carefree he was. And I bet like all of that comes from where he came from and how he, he went from like a lot less freedom to a lot of freedom. So when I think about Klima, I don't only think about the player, I think about the journey, right? And mm-hmm. I guess you have Jim Lights on your radio show on Friday because Jim Lights was the executive in Detroit who played a, a big role with Nick Polano, the scout, in, in getting him out of there. And uh, I'll be looking forward to listening to it because Peter Klima's story is two stories. There's the hockey story and there's the life story. If you get a chance to watch that Jerry Meehan, Don Luce feature about Alexander McGillney and the things they had to do to get that player out of the Iron Curtain. It's incredible stuff. He wore number 85 because that was the year he, uh, in his mind, uh, earned his freedom uh, in North America. Uh, the first uh, Czech-born player to defect to a U.S.-based team. We talked about this on the on the radio show Thursday, Elliot. There was Vaslav Natamansky, who uh, famously defected in the early 70s, um, but he went to Toronto. There were other uh, Czech hockey players who ended up in Vancouver, but Peter Klima was the first Czech player to defect and go directly to uh, an American-based NHL team. Our thoughts and condolences um, to the friends and the family of Peter Klima. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's Daily Deals. Their chicken wings are double dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, Half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Let me ask you about a couple of players. Sure. Specifically. Um, a couple on Minnesota. I want to get there in a second, but... 
I've always found Michael Backlund of the Calgary Flames to be a, a, a fascinating player, even going back to when he played junior in the Western League. I think he's always been an undervalued or underappreciated player. I think he's one of the best defensive forwards in the game, period. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also on an expiring contract here. As we wait and we focus so much energy and attention on who's going to be the general manager and now who's going to be the coach, player conversation is kind of quieted down. The volume is a little lower uh, about the players and next season. Do you get a sense of what Michael Backlund is all about right now? First of all, I think the Flames are trying to get a handle on, okay, now that they've made the coaching change, what does this mean for some of the players on their roster? The two that really got the most attention because of the way they answered the questions were Backlund and Lindholm. So Backlund, I think it potentially does. But one of the things that I have heard before about him, and I don't know where this stands right now. So I'm going to say that this is something that has been out there in the past, is that Backlund really wants to be the captain of the Calgary Flames. Hmm. He's been there for a long time, and I think it's very meaningful for him. And I have also heard that the players on the team know that, they recognize that, and they feel that he would be an excellent choice because he's a guy that I think a lot of those players really think could fit the bill in that role. And as I told you in an earlier podcast, there was definitely a feeling this year that they were missing at least somebody in the captain's role to act as a buffer. So I'm curious to see if with his extension, potentially that becomes part of the conversation. Lindholm, I've just heard it's probably a bit too soon to know, but I think with Lindholm, yes, obviously it was very clear at the end of last year, he was unhappy. I just think that this is someone who needed to decompress a little bit. And I just don't know if if a week is enough time for him to, you know, get his head around the way last season went. A couple more players here before I wrap up and both of them are defensemen. Both of them are on the Minnesota wild. Uh, one is the recently acquired by Bill Guerin, John Klingberg, mm-hmm. um, and what a 12 months has been for John Klingberg. And the other is longtime Minnesota Wild, Matt Dumba. You have a thought on this pair? I don't think this is going to surprise anyone, but I think it's likely both players will test the market. Obviously, I think Klingberg, after the way last year went, is going to try to hit the biggest home run he can hit. I just don't think that's going to be possible in Minnesota. I think with Dumba, you know, the one thing I heard about him is it's much more likely than not he tests the market. I don't think anybody will be surprised by that. But the one thing I did hear is that the Wild will not close the door on him. They can't sign him right now. I don't think to anything that he would get on the open market. But the one thing I've heard is that There's a ton of respect for him there. He's done a lot of great things there. He's a hugely popular teammate there and member of the organization. And the one thing I was just told to be careful about was the Wild will not close the door on him. Mm -hmm. So while it's likely he tests the market and likely he goes elsewhere, I don't think the Wild said anywhere that he's 100% gone. Because I think they just have too much respect and if there was ever a way for it to work out i think they would try although it's unlikely there are always players every year where we say wow this guy really looks weird in a different uniform Mm -hmm. and i know like you say minnesota is not going to close the door 100 percent, but it's going to be weird elliot seeing matt dumba in another uniform next year i'm just bracing myself now (laughs) for what it's going to be like because I'm just so used to seeing Matt Dumba in that Minnesota Wild uniform. Anyhow. We just talked about the the Mark Stone injury in the video. Did you see the conversation that we had with Dallas Akins about it on TV? No. By the way, by the way, Dallas Akins stuff about board play was fascinating. Mm -hmm. That to me was like the highlight of the week on television. He was tremendous. Well, you like board games, so I, I guess you like board play. But I like being bored. That's why I work with you. <laughs> That's right. You know, so we showed Mark Stone's injury footage from Fox in, in Vegas, 
And Dallas and I had a conversation about it. And Dallas said that as a coach, that would really make him angry. And he said, "Is you know, you're not helping your home team. And he said that that is why we don't disclose injuries in the NHL. And when people say they don't like the lack of injury admission, mm-hmm. he said it's because of things like that. Because he said, and, and even Kevin admitted, he would watch that video and he would go after Stone's back. And the Oilers clearly did in game one. It really bothered him. You know, I disagree with him. You know, if you work for a team, I think that's one thing. I understand that. But if it's an open practice where everybody can see it and the camera catches it, it's news. And that's what it is. And, you know, I'll defend that till the end. But it was interesting, the re- some of the reaction we got, Jeff. Like, I had a couple of reporters say to me, you shouldn't have allowed Dallas to say that on Hockey Night in Canada because you're you're in the media, and, and for this, he's a member of the media. And my argument mm, to that was... I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't agree with that either. My argument to that is, look, Dallas may be a member of the media for this two weeks, but he's a coach, and that's his opinion, and we shouldn't be scared of different opinions. And I think the point that he makes about that's why they're so bad about injury disclosure, I think it's a very legitimate and very fair point. I don't agree with his feeling that that shouldn't air. And like I said, of course, if it was me, I would air it. But, you know, I just thought the whole thing was really interesting. I know I had a few people uh, reach out and, and, and say that they thought it was an interesting conversation about you know, what to do in that kind of a situation. I appreciate that point of view and understand that point of view as much as I disagree with it. I understand where it's coming from. Yeah, agreed. I totally understand where that's coming from for Dallas Agins. And that's why he was so passionate about it. Mm-hmm. I assume. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay, Elliot, taking us out today is a Canadian legend who we lost this week. A Canadian genius who wrote songs that were about as close to perfection as we've ever heard. I want to share something that music critic Bob Leftsitz wrote recently about him. Quote, You see, Gordon Lightfoot was a master who created masterpieces, not songs that were pushed up the chart, but rose because of their insight, their changes, their perfection. Nothing was out of place. They were completely finished. You almost didn't believe a human being could write them, Never mind, perform them. End quote. In the summer of 1974, this song was everywhere. It was his biggest hit. We close the podcast with Sundown from the album of the same name. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks for the perfect moments. And thanks for the perfect songs. I can see her lying back in her satin dress in a room where you do
You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.